The AITPM newsletter recently covered a story about how much more attention is being given to landscaping and noise reduction on major road projects. The Australian Association of Acoustical Consultants recently expanded their territory by including New Zealand. We spoke to two acoustic consultants, Alex Campbell, who is the Infrastructure Sector Leader, Technical Director, SLR Consulting, and Mark Russell, who leads engineering on the West Connex project, and also from SLR Consulting. I began by asking Alex about the history of the organisation. It's actually been around for quite a number of years, stretching back to the 90s, 80s. It used to be called the uh, Association of Australian Acoustical Consultants, and it has recently been changed to include New Zealand, uh, hence the name change to Australasian. But the the group was formed uh, when it was uh, in order to give a professional body to the acoustic consulting profession to promote good practice and also uh, develop things like guidelines where there there currently aren't any guidelines for certain areas. It is clearly a case where we are becoming conscious of the noise. Uh, Is the main area of the acoustics in the road sense in terms of building barriers to stop noise? No, I think the barriers are just one form of mitigation that gets explored. So when, when, when a road project is undertaken, we always look at mitigation at the source first. So that might be looking at low noise pavement. Barriers and berms are the, I guess, the second option. This is in New South Wales anyway. And then the, and then the fourth option is at property treatments. So we always look at the source first and then go further away from the source in terms of the hierarchy of mitigation. But, but also... David, in terms of um, in terms of the need for addressing noise, as kind of urban areas get more dense and roads go through existing urban areas or new developments get sprung up around roads, uh, and as the population increases of our major cities, that's where uh, the need to address noise impacts on communities is getting more important. Are we getting better services? Is there big improvements in that area? Yeah, there is. Currently in New South Wales, there is um, quite a bit of investigation with RMS into applying low noise pavement at lower speeds. Um, Previously, we would exclude low noise pavement where we had low um, low speeds, um, turning movements and stopping and starting traffic, although there is now a bit of a push to actually look at those low noise pavements. And this came from actually Europe. Europe's done a lot of testing to see the performance of low noise pavements in the slower speeds. And as a result of that, we've, we've actually started using it or actually at least recommending it on projects in New South Wales at um, lower speeds than we would normally would. Is there a compromise in using it, a cost or, and or a friction coefficient? There is, a, there is a compromise and it's not a noise um, compromise. Uh, there is a wear, um, which does result in lower noise performance over, over a period of use, so i.e. They, they do degrade. There is also issues with low noise pavement in high turning areas, I believe, um, which is, which is a, I guess, an engineering issue with uh, how it, how it uh, rips up sometimes or how it st- stays on the ground. The noise from a car, I was looking at this the other day, walking past both slow and 80 kilometre an hour zones. I, it seemed to me like the exhaust pipe was almost irrelevant, short of a Harley Davidson motorbike or a car with a bit a hot car. Is that the case? Is a lot of the noise coming from the tyres? Yeah, the, the noise comes from the tyres. 
um, unless we're talking trucks, and then the trucks we've got three sources. We've got the engine noise, we've got exhaust noise, and we've also got the tyre noise as well. But for, uh, for most of all the light vehicles on the road, the noise is dominated by the tyres. How much can we reduce the noise by putting better surfaces? Uh, well, we can reduce at when once the once the brand new surface is laid, we could probably get up to six and seven dB reductions. Typically, for a road project, we would use minus two dB reduction because that gives you a bit of a degradation over a period of time. So that's what we would look to get. Do we know how short a time the surface will last? How much of a compromise that is? It, it, it depends on the use, the speeds. The, the, I mean, there's a number of papers out there which I, I can't remember exactly, but I mean, some of the some of the studies we have looked at looks around about seven years. But uh, just to add to that, and this is actually a question to Mark, uh, is that degradation in terms of acoustic performance or degradation in terms of safety need replacing? Or that's that's acoustic so performance. It's, it's still safe. It just yeah. needs, it just degrades its acoustic benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so it gets noisier over time. Correct. Yeah. How does it reduce the noise? What is it about the surface? It's the size of the voids. So the, the different sizes of the voids allows the way that it kind of interacts with the noise as well, that allows reduction. So it's, it's more porous. Yeah. And the reason it degrades is those pores get filled up filled. with debris. There are other things that we intend to make noise on the road, isn't there? There's raised pavement markers and lines. Does that, can surface uh, lines on the road make a difference? Not typically. They, they make a big difference to in-car noise levels, but to kind of measured levels at the side of the road, that doesn't really increase the noise levels. I mean, potholes and things like that do, but assuming a, a good quality surface, line markings, no. The question then of putting up barriers, is that an area that seems to have increased enormously in recent years? Yeah, it's a good observation. It probably has. the um, Mark will be able to talk through this more eloquently than I, but roads and maritimes. Are you based in New South Wales, David? Or yes, I am in Sydney. Yeah. Okay. So every state has their own different uh, legislation regarding road noise and what's acceptable and what how you have to assess it. New South Wales has a road noise policy that was introduced in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and more recently, two years ago, a, a guideline that sits above that. Um, the policy is still the determining policy, but then RMS have written a guideline as to how you apply that policy. Um, and as a result of that policy introduced in 2000, that will be when you've seen a lot of the barriers springing up, I imagine. Well, the RMP criteria, the RMP policy came in, I think, 2012. We oh. might just need to check those references, Dave. Yeah, we'll have so. to check those references. The difference between states, is it significant and is it a, an unfortunate or pain for the industry? I wouldn't say it's a pain to the industry, but it is. there are some significant differences um, in criteria. Uh, for example, uh, New South Wales criteria uses a different descriptor to what uh, Victoria and some parts of Queensland uses. Um, they also have different methods of optimising barriers and optimising heights of barriers. Um, New South Wales has a very robust and um, technical approach to the assessment of uh, road noise, um, it's a little bit simpler in other states. The technical approach, does that extend into aesthetics as well? We, we generally don't get involved in the aesthetics of barriers. We, rep we recommend barriers from a purely noise and technical point of view. In some cases on some projects, the noise 
benefit of a barrier is just one part of the consideration and there's a wider consideration such as urban design, the community needs, um, barriers that don't solve, whilst barriers provide a benefit to receivers both indoors and outdoors, um, sometimes the overshadowing, structural designs, the communities um, able to you know, in integrate or use the road pro um, properly as well, all has some uh, need to be considered as part of the, um, the overall process. There's some talk about transparent or semi-transparent barriers. Can they block out the sound as effectively? And is that a consideration or is that a compromise? Uh, no, they, they can work just as well as solid barriers. They are often more expensive, being the main hurdle. But uh, certainly they let light through, they let views through. It's uh, in areas where there's security concerns about barriers and people hiding behind them and things like that. You know, they're a good solution there. The, the downside with, uh, with transparent barriers, they're generally a perspex material is the um, graffiti and actual maintenance of the barrier so they tend to um, get scratched or um, the, the transparency reduces over time and, and that doesn't I guess you know appear as nice as, a, as other barriers do so sometimes in some projects they use in combination with a solid barrier below and the perspex on top to allow the overshadow or to reduce any overshadowing issues. There is a push towards using virtual reality to have a look at what a new project might be. The fact that transparent barriers might look very good in the artist's impression Perhaps that is something that we need to consider very carefully about not only what do they look like at the beginning or what they might look like if they are put up, but what they might look like in five years' time. That might affect people's decision? I would imagine so. It's, it's a community engagement and uh, landscape architecture issue, really. But, yeah, it's something that should be considered. In the, in the same way that we consider that, you know, if the performance of porous roads degrades over time acoustically, you know, you might want to consider the impact of uh, degradation of barriers, not only transparent barriers, but sometimes there's, you know, uh, barriers formed from wood wool or something like that, and that, that weathers and becomes worn over time as well. We have a whole pile of models that predict the number and perhaps nature of traffic. Is there modelling then that will generate numbers as to how much noise that will create and therefore how much effort you should make for acoustic reduction? That's exactly what happens. Um, so what we do is, and again, I'll probably let Mark take over as he does it far more than I do, uh, but I know the high-level comments. What we do is we take, um, take traffic modelling and we take volumes, speed, percentage HGVs, all that kind of information from the traffic data and we feed it into our acoustic computer model to predict noise emissions to the environment, and we validate our model with real-world measurements to existing flow data, and then we use any uplift in volume or changes in the road alignment, whatever it is, to predict future noise emissions, and that's how we then get to the need to uh, consider mitigation such as low noise pavements, barriers, and the like. It becomes very sensitive to certain types of vehicles. You mentioned trucks. Uh, I presume like damage to the road is it a case that one car is a bit but a truck is an awful lot they they certainly have they have noise sources at different heights which does impact um on how noise propagates um and also the percentage of heavy vehicles as well um obviously weights heavily in, in higher noise levels and the bigger the truck the worse the noise 
not always, but it, it can be a, it can yeah. be a function of the number of if, the wheels. If, if you're looking at um, individual passbys, you you'd say yes generally, but what what noise is assessed over a time averaged period, and so the the odd you know. Um, heavy, bigger truck passing by won't impact the overall average to a big degree. We're doing much measurement of actual noise on the road and then, of course, actual reduction. Is that calibration of the models or our expertise, is that an ongoing process? It is. So we, we will do validation process at the beginning of a project before we build the design road. Following the completion of the road project, we go back out and do post-commissioning compliance to ensure that what we modelled and how we designed the model is actually um, well is representative of what is actually there in the real life. I wonder if we could measure cars individually as we are doing now with their pollution and charge them more if they make more noise. If pol- pollution is clearly a social issue, but then again, so is noise. Do you think noise is perhaps not mentioned or considered enough in the s- public debates that we have about road projects? Uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, there's um, the, the issue with noise and looking at cars in, in, on an individual basis is that there's uh, Australian um, performance requirements for vehicles that they can't exceed a certain level. Um, and generally, you know, I would imagine I'm picking a number out of the air here, but 90% of vehicles on the road, maybe more, achieve those every day and uh, stock standard vehicles. Uh, where you have the issues are the modified exhausts, sometimes to a degree engine braking, and, you know, those Harley-Davidson ridiculous um, motorbikes that uh, I don't know whether they complied with the criteria when they came out of the factory, but they certainly don't when they've had a go with the exhaust. So, and those are what really cause annoyance. And like I say, they might not impact the overall average for the day noise levels, but they are what impact people's lives more when they get woken up at three from a loud car or motorbike or truck passing by. Actually, it's an interesting point, isn't it, that the average might not be as big an issue as long as it doesn't go too wild. It's the peaks that's the real pro- can be the most distressing problem, isn't it? They can be probably more attributed to sleep disturbance um, and awakening uh, those kind of peak events, but they're also very volatile and can differ from day to day, and they're a lot harder to actually, yeah. you know, properly predict and design mitigation around because they're such a variable source. No, in fact, it's probably more to tackle it at the source rather than try to... And that, that's where I, I believe, um, again, sorry, this is kind of internal discussion between me and Mark. I thought RMS a while ago were looking at some you know, new technologies like noise cameras to catch out noise vehicles on the roads. They are looking at noise cameras mainly around truck engine braking and like, the Jacobs brakes events. Um, that's been a process that's been going on for a long period of time. Yeah. And But the problem is, is how they legislate and how they penalise those things mm. as well. Yeah. You guys done any work on electric vehicles and the reduction in noise there? I, a bit more, I'm thinking, as soon as you said that previous comment, was uh, braking on the engine in terms of an electric vehicle car, a, a truck, of which Tesla is about to release theirs. It could make a significant difference, couldn't it, electric trucks? It will make a huge difference if, if a high percentage of heavy vehicles went electric, then basically that noise source all but eliminates from the engine. 
and we have just the time resource left. So the third area is actually how far people are away from the road. They say pollution, it, the more further away, it's exponential as to the the reduction in the impact. Is that similar with sound? Is it like the square of the distance? In a ideal, well, in a lab for a fit calculation scenario, it is. It does, you know, the, the noise source does decrease exponentially with distance, technically speaking. However, uh, you often get in real-world scenarios, things like terrain and intermediary building screening. So, for example, your first row of houses might be close enough to follow the exponential rule, but then your second row of houses behind it may be shielded by the first row of houses. Therefore, you get a much bigger drop to the second row of houses than you would do from a standard exponential kind of calculation. Has your consultants, your association, done some work on the best trees or other devices to add to the value of a, a barrier or, or even if there's no barrier there at all is that an evolving science and uh, not one that we're, not one that's being looked at vegetation often um, is kind of thrown around as a potential barrier and whilst it does have a psychological impact and a you know nice visual impact Vegetation alone, without some kind of mass with it, contained within it, like a wall within it, uh, doesn't actually have an acoustic impact. Um, so, I mean, what, what... Unless it's very dense and thick and long. Yeah, there, are, like there are some kilometers. cases... Yeah, there are okay. some cases where there is a benefit from a very, very dense um, foliage, but in, in most cases it provides more of a psychological benefit than actual measurable noise benefit. How far does your impact go in terms of assessing a situation so that if you have the West Connex going through a particular area because the buildings the houses might be too close might you say well we can't put up enough barrier unless you to to stop the required amount of noise to those houses you would have to repossess those houses the acquisition of houses is, is generally not done as part of a noise point of view they're done as part of a um, project design in terms mm. of facilitating the actual project alignment within us within the corridor the the noise predictions after that are done out to 600 meters either side of that alignment um, which includes all the rows of houses behind that we can recommend barriers or investigate barriers where there's a feasible location that we can put those barriers, i.e. Where they're, where they're not obviously in the road alignment, but they're not on someone's property boundary. So where we can find the best place for that barrier. There are some locations where we can't put barriers just because there's intersecting roads or other issues. And in those cases, like we go down the next hierarchy, which is looking at our property treatments. Is or has the West Connex been a project that has shown uh, new developments? Is is it leading the field in terms of this particular area? No, the 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 new barrier optimization process, which was brought out by RMS, was um, used on one of the first West Connex projects. But there's a multiple number. There's a number of other major infrastructure projects which are utilising that barrier optimization and, and assessment approach detailed by RMS. I wouldn't say that our, um, West Connect is, is, has changed how we approach that and by any means, it just follows the guidelines. And those guidelines that have been recently updated, 
that was a significant step? It, it was a significant change in how we approached the assessment. The, cri- the base criteria stayed the same, but there was a number of other factors that needed to be considered and also how we approached the optimization of barriers, which got changed recently. Other factors? What might some of those be? Well, it comes down into the cost-benefit analysis of the barrier. Um, how many houses does... When does a barrier at what height get the required benefit or provide the required benefit for it to be feasible to be built. So there's a number of things that we need to consider. The, the, the loss or the insertion loss that that barrier provides at its certain height, the, I guess, the number of receivers behind it that are removed from exceeding the noise criteria, and there's a number of other things as well. But there's a number of factors that need to be considered for a barrier to be recommended. So if I was on a rural highway and there was one house, chances are I'm not going to get a barrier. A barrier won't be built unless there's three or more grouped houses. We had done something in our newsletter on the nature of the barriers, but actually the design of it also got into the aesthetics of it. It was almost like trying to read a fashion parade about the nature of what it does for the driver as well. If you put up a wall to a driver, depending on the height, but a wall is a wall is a wall to the view of the driver? Yeah, I think there, there is a lot of um, thought process that does go into the urban design of these barriers that it has to fit in the landscape that's put in. Um, I, I think, once again, we recommend it from a noise and technical point of view. We don't make decisions on how that barrier fits in the urban um, design and the urban landscape. That's done by other people in the project. And that was two consultants who are members of the Australasian Association of Acoustical Consultants. Alex Campbell, the Infrastructure Sector Leader Technical Director, SLR Consulting, and Mark Russell, Lead Engineering on the West Connex Project, and also from SLR Consulting. I'm David Brown from drivenmedia.com.au.